The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I will be your host, riding solo today, interviewing a friend of the program, Janice Scurrio from Southside Hit Pen, a part of Sports Illustrated Now. Janice, it's so good to talk to you again. Uh, we had the pleasure of speaking to you pregame prior to Lucas Giolito's no-hitter against the Pittsburgh Pirates on uh, August 25th. And what a series of events that you were able to sit through at Guaranteed Raid Field yesterday. So I want to get your thoughts there, especially uh, once we kick things off in this conversation. But uh, first things first, it's so good to be able to talk to you again. Had you on the program before. And like the first time we talked to you, a lot has changed since then. And I wanted to get just an update on where you are in your professional career and uh, how you're taking things now covering the White Sox for SI Now. Uh, Yeah, first of all, it's really great to be back. Uh, So yeah, definitely. It's really great to talk to you again, Mike. Uh, It's it's certainly been a while. And I'm just trying to remember kind of uh, where I was and kind of what my thoughts uh, and feelings on the White Sox were uh, way back when. Uh, I'm honestly just even trying to remember my thoughts and feelings from yesterday. (laughs) I know uh, I was talking uh, to you and James Fox on some of the uh, predictions that I had for yesterday's game uh, and just kind of uh, seeing uh, where I was right on some things, where I was wrong on some things, where I was like just completely oblivious that I was about to witness history. So uh, I think especially tonight, uh, we're going to see uh, some incredibly interesting baseball played in the sense that uh, they're going up against a lefty. And as of right now, uh, the White Sox are seven and nothing uh, against lefty pitchers. I'm really excited to see Lucas Giolito pitch in particular. Uh, His last outing was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Just to kind of see his confidence go up and kind of uh, just to kind of see him blossom, evolve, if if you must say. It's really interesting uh, that that certainly happened. But uh, otherwise, uh, covering the White Sox uh, for Sports Illustrated has uh, certainly been uh, nothing short of a dream. 
I'm a credentialed member of the media, which is absolutely fantastic. It's really great uh, that the White Sox are certainly uh, allowing for uh, more representation, uh, more diverse voices in the press box, and uh, kind of allowing us to uh, cover the team in uh, ways that have previously never been covered before. Uh, So we get the opportunity to kind of express ourselves in that regard. And I think that's uh, absolutely wonderful. Uh, Also, too, it's just an absolute uh, honor and privilege, uh, in my opinion, just to to, uh, see these games in person, just mainly because uh, with the pandemic going on, uh, it's still very much so a problem. People are still dying. Uh, It's it's still very much so a public health issue. uh, And Uh, Yeah, I'm kind of the eyes and ears of White Sox fans, and I do not take that responsibility lightly. Uh, I definitely know that I'm kind of in a position of authority to uh, certainly try to let White Sox fans experience uh, the sights, sounds, not smells, though. Smells would be weird. Uh, Of the the game, uh, kind of through my eyes, so... Uh, it's it has really given me the ability to uh, kind of flex my creative muscle. Um, I have a, a long unused degree uh, in creative writing and journalism, uh, so it's really great to actually put that to use for once. So uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, um, I absolutely love what I do, and uh, I look forward to doing it some more. So let me take you back because when I when we first talked to you, it was right around, I think, SoxFest. You shared with us your experience being there uh, as a credentialed media member. I think that was a part of Southside Hit Pen as well, was that not? It was, yeah, it was a tandem joint between Southside Hit Pen and uh, Southside Sox. That's right. Okay. So then right there, Southside Hit Pen, Southside Sox gave you the opportunity to be a part of what these blogs across the media realm of the White Sox, a lot of these blogs take it so seriously to the point where it's like, yeah, we're a part of a legitimate outlet, a media outlet that has editors and a process and a open line of communication with the White Sox in your case. And I think that is so valuable uh, for anyone in this field for this opportunity, like you said, in a long unused creative writing degree. Now it's putting it to the test, right? Putting it to work. And I feel like that is so rewarding um, to hear because I was in your spot as well as a young blogger, Um, back when I was going through the ranks in high school and in college, and all I've ever wanted to do was get my stuff published. And uh, here I am with Future Socks, and I'm so lucky to be there. But again, it's like a lot of people in our shoes are trying to get to that spot, and outlets like Southside Hitpen allow that opportunity. So that uh, that is really, really cool. Yeah, definitely. And I've definitely, I've, I've kind of gone through uh, a little bit of mentorship too. Uh, so uh, through uh, these blogs, I have met some more experienced writers uh, who have given me great advice uh, over the scope of my career. Uh, and I really hope to kind of uh, pass that on. So uh, yeah, it's definitely kind of a trade of skills. Um yeah, these writers definitely did not have to give me the time of day. Uh, I'm really glad they did. Uh, and I think, I, I hope this honestly turns the tide. Uh, I honestly hope that uh, the inclusion of more writers, more bloggers, more diverse voices uh, will result in a more inclusive, welcoming writing community. Yeah, I think that's very well put. I love the ability to 
put out that creative freedom. That's what it's all about. And that's what sports is all about is um, opinions and uh, creativity. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for Southside Hitpen's success because Brett Valentini, got to give him a shout out for him to take on the project to merge with uh, SI now. It's a lot of responsibility. And look, Southside Hitpen, you know, in its early stages now is starting to get some recognition because you guys are on the ground every single day and uh, you guys do great work. So congrats there. And speaking of, you were there at the ballpark for Lucas Giolito and uh, the White Sox 19th no-hitter in franchise history. What were some of the emotions that you went through just being there as it was happening, uh, maybe especially in the ninth inning, um, just the atmosphere for you personally, because I, I had butterflies at home, but what about you? Oh my goodness. Um, I definitely went through a wide range of stages of emotion, I want to say, because uh, of course, I mean, if you notice a no hitter is happening, like especially around the fifth or sixth inning, you're noticing that, oh, hey, uh, Giolito looks super locked in. He's retiring guys early. Um say his stuff seems to be pretty electric so far and of course I mean you're just not going to flat out say it uh, just for superstition's sake uh, but of course too um, while I'm taking my game notes or whatnot I, I'm very online I admit like I, I, I tweet um, I honestly use my Twitter more for my game notes than I do um, my actual Google Doc where I just kind of jot down uh, some observations about the game while it's happening uh, so, of course, too, I'm seeing all of the troll tweets that are certainly talking about it, and I'm just sort of in my mind, uh, kind of, I guess, vanquishing those those thoughts uh, and kind of propelling uh, some good mojo uh, to make sure it actually does happen. But I do have to say that yesterday was quite eventful. There was a span of time, um, I believe it was in the fourth inning where, third? Or, or, or third inning, third, third inning, inning, yeah, yeah. where, where uh, there was a power surge and it actually happened twice where the, uh, the scoreboard, um, just completely went black. Uh, the lights went off, uh, but the, the game was still going on though. So I was completely puzzled as to what was happening. Uh, and then I lost Wi-Fi. And so that completely turned my world upside down, um, just mainly because I had no backup plan. I'm ashamed to say that my phone uh, is not enabled as a Wi-Fi hotspot, so I didn't even have that to fall back on. Uh, and so, of course, like m my blood pressure raises a little bit. My hands start to get a little sweaty. Uh, I divert back to my phone and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, geez, what the heck do I do? Uh, and then I find out through Twitter that, uh, yeah, there's even like no game coverage either. I guess uh, NBC Sports uh, just uh, had um, or, or their feed was completely lost. So they were showing just a bunch of um, like the more you know PSAs on uh, loop. So and yeah. like, I honestly had no idea. I'm, I'm just like kind of scrambling, trying to get the Wi-Fi back on my laptop, uh, maybe try to see if I can uh, finagle my way into like a local hotspot or maybe negotiate with one of the other beat writers uh, to let me on one of their hotspots. Uh, so, so yeah, I pick up my phone. My hands are super sweaty. I'm like typing out updates as best as I can. Uh, I think I even flubbed on one. Uh, I think I said that Eloy oh, yeah, yeah. grounded <laughs> out into a double yeah. play, like, like uh, moments after. Yeah, we've all been um, there. Yep. <laughs> totally. And, and that's just, that was just certainly just my brain, um, falling flat on a treadmill. I'm just like doing 50 things at once and 
like trying to also process that, oh, Lucas Giolito is perfect through uh, like X amount of innings. Uh, And then, uh, yeah, so just the incredibly strange events that happened throughout the course of that game. Uh, And then I had the the privilege of having um, my colleague Sam Sherman with me. And it was the first time we had met in person. Uh, we just knew each other from interacting with each other on Twitter, um, say just hitting each, each other up in the Slack channel. Uh, so I still come from an olden time where, uh, say, when you meet a coworker, you usually do so in person, right? But uh, oddly enough, like my last couple of jobs have all been remote. So that's slowly kind of becoming the new normal. But still, to see a familiar face uh, was still very welcoming. And to also kind of uh, share the whole experience uh, with a new friend was also was, uh, something that I honestly kind of missed. So uh, he and I were sort of exchanging glances, uh, kind of um, uh, validating in each other that like, hey, are are we seeing what we think we're seeing? Yeah, saying without saying, yeah. Right, right, exactly. And uh, yeah, we had uh, Terrence Tomlin uh, sitting uh, just a row uh, over from us. And we're kind of also looking over at him and uh, kind of bringing him in the whole validation, I guess, um, conversation where we're all like, yeah, we all kind of know what's happening, but we just don't want to talk about it. Uh, So after a while, I just kind of had to withdraw within myself and kind of plan for the what ifs, kind of like, okay, what if Giolito pulls this whole dang thing off? Like, what am I going to say? Uh, And to give some background, uh, I've already covered some rather, I guess, historic games just within the past week. So um, I covered uh, the uh, four consecutive home runs uh, by... um, uh, by White Sox players, uh, and that was picked up by Sports Illustrated nationally. So that yes, was super cool. Yes, we did yeah. see that. Mm-hmm. And then um, I covered uh, the game uh, where uh, Tim Anderson hit uh, two consecutive leadoff homers. Again, like historic, super cool, super awesome. And so I think if you would have told me last week that I would have a no hitter cover, uh, or I'd be covering a no hitter, um, I would have not believed you I would have been like no way like there's no possible way that uh, this game is going to be on my plate uh just mainly because that's way too much good to happen right <laughs> it's, it's it's just way too much good yeah. to talk about especially like say in the scope of like the White Sox and say um what uh we we've been expecting and seeing uh from this team So, uh, yeah, I think around the seventh inning, I started to kind of uh, type out possible storylines that I would lead into. So um, I definitely kind of wanted to go the more uh, human angle. Um, I got to know Lucas Giolito pretty well through, uh, through Twitch, oddly enough, uh, during the hiatus, uh, where no baseball was being played um, earlier earlier this year. So, um, yeah, uh, he's super personable, super down-to-earth. Uh, he has just, like, this um, great, incredible sense of empathy. He cares about the world around him. Um, I think that's absolutely fantastic. 
Um, he uses his Twitch streams to uh, interact with fans and uh, he encourages them to ask him questions about anything about like his, his musical preferences or say uh, whether a hot dog is a sandwich or even like his change up grips. Uh, And uh, yeah, he he was always very gracious, always willing to patiently answer questions and, uh, even kind of got to know me by name. Uh, I don't think he knows my real name. Uh, he would always call me by my Twitch name, uh, which is which is Baller Librarian, my uh, my former Twitter name. That's my I'm, favorite. I'm, <laughs> FKA Baller Librarian. Uh, that's me. So uh, yeah, uh, we kind of uh, had this, I guess, unexpected sort of uh, recognizance where I would log in, I'd be like, hey, Lucas, what's up? How are you? And he'd be like, Baller Librarian, it's good to see you again. Nice. And, um, I love it. <laughs> yeah, and like, that, that, that's that's absolutely cool. That's, that's absolutely cool. Uh, so I definitely wanted to mention that. Uh, and of course, too, um, his struggles in 2018 were certainly worth bringing up, along with the breakthrough season he had last year, uh, kind of led into uh, talking a little bit about uh, the no-hitter, uh, kind of uh, just what his mechanics looked like last night, uh, say uh, the pitches he, thro- he threw, uh, which was uh, certainly uh, a really welcome expected pattern. Uh, because he's kind of used this same uh, fastball changeup dominant uh, with the slider thrown here and there mix in starts against Cleveland and has been incredibly effective there. So to kind of kind of see him kind of use that against uh, Pittsburgh last night was uh, refreshing to see, uh, just mainly because I recognized it. So to kind of take all this information about a player that I studied quite a bit and to also know that, uh, yeah, he's just a super cool down-to-earth dude, uh, kind of made the, the whole recap uh, an absolute joy to write. Yeah, boy, there's so much there. Um, the, the whole camaraderie thing, that, that's very important, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Because, yeah, I mean, Lucas Giolito as a person, you could just tell, comes off as very genuine He's always very upfront in his press conferences and uh, Zoom calls, the media conversations. He's, he puts it out there, and he said it. He was, I worked really hard to get to this point, and you mentioned the struggles in 18. So it's a guy that it's very easy to root for him. And again, you were, you were able to take that all in. What was it like, though, without fans in the, in the stands? Like I can't help but, but think about that aspect. Like The tension, obviously, is still there, but without that – was i know that they, they piped in the crowd noise just what was that like uh, taking it all in? so i can definitely attest they pumped the crowd noise up pretty loud especially in the later innings and uh i felt it uh, i think it was like honestly getting to me and I, i've said this before where um covering games in the past uh, that the faux crowd noise just is really off-putting. It, it just feels so incredibly artificial to me. Uh, and I think I, I don't know if I've said this on, a, on another podcast or maybe I've just told uh, friends this, that uh, the crowd noise kind of makes me feel like I'm at the zoo where you've, you've kind of like go into a zoo exhibit and you've got like the, the nature sounds or whatever kind of like piped in, um, I don't know, like the small mammal or reptile house. And uh, yeah, um, 
just because in the front of your mind, like you, you, you just know that, you know, 30,000 people aren't here that, you know, you're just sitting with a bunch of cardboard cutouts, uh, in the press box. But after a while, uh, I guess the suspension of disbelief finally, uh, kicks in and, uh, the crowd noise kind of gets louder and louder and louder. And then, um, and then, yeah, uh, I don't know, around the eighth inning, I, I was feeling chills going like down my spine. I was already kind of uh, showing the physical symptoms of ex- ex- excitement. So I can only imagine uh, what the players were going through. I can only imagine uh, what Lucas Giolito was going through. I know the whole mental aspect of the game is a huge part of how he pitches. So, uh, yeah, probably what I felt was probably was not even like a minuscule of probably what was going through his mind. It's so interesting to dive into the mental side of the approach as a pitcher. And he talked about it in the postgame, you know, one pitch at a time. I got to get into that frame. And James McCann helped him, you know. And again, this is a conversation that's been ongoing across the White Sox Twitter and uh, as well as the fan base. I mean, McCann knows Giolito. He understands the cues that Giolito, his nonverbal cues that he's he's putting off, and he understands what pitches work and what's happening throughout the day. It's that synergy that they have. They talk about it all the time. It I think it's real, and I think we all understand the type of value that Grandall has, but now with this conundrum, is there something there right now between Grandall and McCann as it relates to Lucas Giolito and his production? I just want to get your take on just that whole kind of conversation. Absolutely. Uh, So one thing that has kind of helped me work through kind of this entire process, and I guess the the elephant in the room uh, is like, say, uh, is James McCann's tenure with the White Sox uh, limited. So something that's kind of helped me through this is definitely sort of focusing on the present and just seeing that, yeah, um, what Giolito and McCann have is absolutely real. Uh, it They just seem so incredibly locked into one another. And I noticed this during uh, Lucas's last start uh, just last week where he matched his career high 13 strikeouts uh, for the first time, uh, for the first time this season. And uh, yeah, just um, the concentration on his face and just the focus and the intensity was absolutely there. Uh, so yeah, um, you're absolutely right where McCann just picks up all of uh, Gio's nonverbal cues. Uh, he just, ab- they, they just absolutely know each other so very well. And so as a result, um, Lucas Giolito just finds uh, McCann's spot so easily. Um, that's not to say that, uh, yes, Monty Grandal can't be Lucas Giolito's catcher. Um, again, like Grandal is elite. There's definitely no doubt about that. And, uh, before, uh, at the beginning of the season, uh, I was just really happy that we had some fantastic depth at catcher because having James McCann as a backup catcher is like just not shabby at all. That that's an absolute wonderful option. So, um, I think, I mean, I, I do not want to speak this in existence, but say if McCann decides to part ways with the White Sox, um, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to have to have, uh, Lucas Giolito throw to Yasmani Grandal, uh, but 
just the way I, or, or the, the, t- the type of player I know Grandal is. Um, he's very, uh, he's a smart, he's a smart guy. He's very cerebral. He's a student of the game. Um, he just studies, he studies video. He absolutely like makes it a point to uh, get his pitchers prepared and ready for the day. He takes that process so incredibly seriously. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's certainly what we're headed towards. Uh, I think, I, I, I think they're both going to be fine uh, working together in the future. But, uh, but yeah, I think as of right now, I'd rather focus on the present. And you know what? It's like, it's happened before and we've seen it with John Lester and David Ross, for example, like that kind of chemistry. It's great. But also at the same time, it's not like, you know, the game goes on, life goes on. John Lester through to Wilson Contreras and Victor Caratini. Things are fine. The same thing can happen with Lucas Giolito and Yasmani Grandal and whether it be Zach Collins or somebody else, it's just a part of it. Uh, but it is something to note uh, that storyline going on because you commit to Grandall long-term and James McCann next year is a question mark. And who knows whether or not he even wants to come back to the White Sox because he knows of the limited playing time that he gets with uh with Grandall obviously being the mainstay here in Chicago so that that is something that I agree with you we have to take start by start day by day at this point because how are we supposed to know right what, what's going to happen uh at that position we we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow I mean we're seeing it as we broadcast this today Janice and we can get into it if you want to uh but Major League Baseball teams are voluntarily sitting out today and I think that's a huge story that's worth mentioning especially in Milwaukee taking the initiative uh, because as, as a result of the Jacob Blake news and the NBA, obviously, at the same time, are, are working their right to to sit out. And I know, Janice, you've been locked in to this side of it as well on top of Major League Baseball working through the coronavirus, but also with social injustice, the conversations that we're having these days. Um, I mean, just, just your feelings so far on, on another very emotional day uh, across the sports landscape. Absolutely. And I think that athletes certainly do kind of have a responsibility. Uh, they have this platform uh, to to speak out against uh, social injustice. And I think it was uh, Jack Flaherty, uh, one of Lucas Giolito's uh, friends uh, growing up, I know, uh, said that, um, you know, uh, sports are back, but that doesn't mean that the conversations are going to stop. So I thought that was uh, incredibly important. Uh, so on the labor side of things, uh, I just think it's incredibly uh, important that the, the B- Milwaukee Bucks, I guess, uh, uh, fuel started this where they're like, hey, uh, like we just need to uh, sit out uh, just mainly because, uh, yeah, uh, we, d- we need to send a message that uh, our labor is just not here for uh people's entertainment and i think that's incredibly important and kind of like shedding light onto a larger message and then uh, we saw the milwaukee brewers follow suit uh kind of uh, led by someone who i never would thought i would see uh lead the conversation uh josh Hader uh, of all people so, uh, yeah, there are some really fascinating things going on uh, in the sports world uh, regarding uh, regarding the yeah the uh, Jacob Blake uh, shooting. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's really just an interesting time we live in right now. Uh, but I'm really happy to kind of see these athletes 
um, kind of take a stand. And here, here at the Future Sox podcast, obviously we focus on the prospects and sometimes we deviate from the path this year. We apologize, doing our best. But this conversation, I tell you, and you, you mentioned Josh Hader. I think that's also very interesting that you brought it up because it's an example of how we can all grow as a society progressively, right? Understand tolerance and then you know, escape the closed-mindedness. Uh, understanding culture is very important in the progression of society. And I think that just is common sense, right? And it's common practice, but it, it sometimes gets swept under the rug when you see, uh, you know, okay, we have these conversations, but then it dissipates, right? It kind of quiets down uh, until the next terrible thing happens. And then it picks back up again. This constant, this constant stretch of the way athletes have taken the responsibility uh, during these times where we're being ultra careful about what's happening around us. And I think, and I bring this up too, because I think it has something to do with it, the coronavirus and how we're all trying to get on this um, equal mindset of how to handle things these days. Um, and it's and it's very important for athletes to step up and use their platform because, like you said, whether they like it or not, these guys are idols. Um, these athletes are are idols. And, and the uh, and I said guys there, and I don't want to generalize, and I shouldn't, and I keep rambling, but I can't st- I can't help it, Janice, <laughs> uh, because all of this is happening in front of our eyes. And I say that because baseball is not being played tonight because of something that has totally nothing to do with baseball, and they're making it so this message is clear. We all need to get on the same page. Um, and, and I wanted to throw in the WNBA as well, because um, obviously the, the voices that they're, they're putting out there too. So just had to get, a, get that out there. Absolutely. And uh, just to uh, throw in uh, the Sean Doolittle quote that I see quite a bit, uh, sports are the reward of a functioning society. And uh, that's something that we kind of need to look within ourselves. Um, are we really a functioning society? Uh, do we honestly really deserve sports? Uh, And I think that's a a question that we just kind of need to ask ourselves and kind of um, like be introspective about. Yeah. And I didn't really want to take the conversation too deep into (laughs) this pathway, but Hey, you know, it's what happens. And and I know you're all, um, you're all over it. And, and I'm glad you were able to share your perspective there. Uh, But we can, we can shift back to some of these conversations. We talked about McCann. We talked about Grandall your experience with Lucas Giolito's no hitter being there, uh, consuming that event. So awesome. So such good stuff. Um, as, as we transition now, I want to ask you your opinions on some of the young arms that you've been able to see uh, pitch in person. I know there's a few storylines that obviously are important to the White Sox organization. Jimmy Lambert going down with the forearm that we're monitoring as well. Aaron Bummer has the bicep. Those are two young homegrown socks arms that are on the shelf. Uh, but, you see the others as well, Ian Hamilton, Zach Birdie, Cody Hoyer, just to name a couple examples of success so far within the White Sox farm system. So your take on some of those arms that you saw, as well as Dane Dunning. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. So I do have to say that I am incredibly impressed with a lot of the young arms uh, that I've seen. Uh, I think Matt Foster is perhaps uh, the biggest surprise Uh, this season for me. So uh, he's got a scoreless streak going on right now. I I think uh, he's uh, 13 innings and has yet to uh, yet to give up a a run. 
Uh, I'm just kind of looking at a quick fact sheet right now. Uh, so, uh, yeah, um, it is the longest by a White Sox to begin his career since 1974. Like that's that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so I, I'm really loving what I'm seeing from him. Uh, I believe I was talking about this yesterday, but the White Sox currently have four pitchers in the bullpen with a whip under one. And uh, looking at it right now, it's, uh, yeah, uh, Cody Hoyer, um, who else? Uh, Matt Foster, uh, Ross Detweiler, and uh, Colome. Uh, is the last one. And Zach Birdie is also there with a whip of one. So that's really nothing to sneeze at either. Um, Yeah, all of these guys have shown up, um, especially with Aaron Bummer being out. Um, uh, Yeah, it's been just really refreshing to see uh, the success coming out of these guys. And with Dane Dunning, I was so incredibly impressed with Dunning's uh, start, uh, just mainly because... Uh, I don't think uh, anyone was uh, really uh, expecting much out of him. And by anyone, uh, I, I meant I, I talk about uh, more of the, I guess, the national analysts who just look at baseball more broadly. Uh, definitely a lot more hype was placed on Casey Mize. That's understandable, just being that he's such a prominent Tigers prospect. But I think he slipped under a lot of people's radars. And uh, yeah, uh, just that curveball of his is absolutely just gorgeous. I I didn't see it in person. I did not watch that game in person, but I just remembered watching that game on TV and uh, looking up his swinging strike rate, uh, just mainly because he just kept on uh, luring these Tigers hitters on just swinging on just this absolute nasty breaking stuff. So uh, I have a feeling we're going to see him again very soon. Uh, yeah. What about some of these guys in Schaumburg, like Jared Kelly, Garrett Crochet? I should also mention Matthew Thompson and Andrew Dahlquist. What do you think are the benefits of these young players who are freshly drafted or only have a year of professional experience under their belt working out at the alternate site with these major league types of talents? Uh, probably the exposure uh, to especially to some of the players that might have a little bit more experience, uh, I would imagine, uh, kind of gets them in the right mindset uh, that, uh, yeah, that some someday, maybe soon, um, just, you know, willing that no one gets injured or whatnot, uh, that, yeah, they may be playing with the big league club uh, very soon. So, uh, yeah, I, I did not go uh, to the workout. I believe it was, I can't remember what day it was, but um, a bunch of uh, my colleagues went and kind of uh, shared their thoughts and feelings about seeing, uh, yeah, Garrett Crochet in particular with his ridiculously high leg kick and just how incredibly just large and commanding that Jared Kelly is. Uh, I've heard so many things about his ridiculous fastball. Um, yeah, it just creates a whole bunch of hype, like especially for people like me, um, who might be more on the peripheral, who know, who know some things about these guys, but, uh, not too much, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure, uh, that it's going to create a very interesting uh, scenario for these guys. What about Nick Madrigal? How are you feeling about the way the White Sox can use him moving forward? Because he goes down with the shoulder. He looks like he's healthy. He's been working out. Uh, it's only a matter of time now. Maybe even by the time we post this podcast, he'll be back with the Major League Club. But 
Leary Garcia goes down. They bring back Yolmer Sanchez. Ryan Goins is used as depth as well. Chesler Cuthbert is a corner infielder guy, so we don't really necessarily have to add him to the equation, but he is an infield depth piece, so I guess he's worth a mention. Um, and Danny Mendick, I, I can't, you know, Danny Mendick looks like he could be that utility everyday bench player for you that can start multiple games in a row uh, or or do whatever that you need him to do uh, across a 162 game season. I feel like Danny Mendick's pretty valuable. So there's kind of a not not necessarily a log jam because we know that Nick Madrigal is going to be a part of this thing. But uh, how does he play into it now, considering you know how I just laid it out for you? Uh, yeah, I've uh, actually been pretty impressed uh, with Danny Mendick uh, lately. I know you asked me about Nick Madrigal, uh, but I do have to point out that uh, after uh, he kind of took over at second base uh, for Madrigal, um, yeah, he's uh, currently 18 for 62 with three doubles, two homers, and four RBI during that span with four multi-hit games. And so I only say this just mainly because it's like literally right in front of me. Uh, I, I did not look it up. Um, I, I do not have these stats memorized by any means. I just wanted to clear the air on that. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's been really refreshing to kind of see him step up. Um, I think I might have written a short stint on uh, his, his defense and how uh, that's been also incredibly nice to see alongside the uptick in defense uh, that we've seen from Jose Abreu as well. I think that matters a lot. And so, uh, like pretty much all White Sox fans, um, I was disappointed, of course, to kind of see Madrigal go down like that, kind of with that slide. I was expecting much worse than um, a shoulder displacement. I I thought it was something that would absolutely just knock him out for the season. I'm glad it's not that. Um, But at this point, I, I don't know, to be honest. I kind of like Mendick at second. Um, I I think there are a couple of people who kind of fall in that same camp with me too. Um, but I don't know. We'll see uh, if Madrigal returns, if he kind of, uh, I guess, uh, bolsters that same uh, production that uh, he offered uh, when he was first called up. Uh, I would like him to continue that. But of course, you know, the... Recovery from injury is always going to be a thing, always going to be a roadblock. Uh, So I don't know. We'll see about that. Yeah, I wonder how they're going to use them because with the production they're getting out of the position and then some of the major league depth they have, maybe they want to just take it easy on Magical for now. But I I think the best thing for them is to get experience, of course, at the big league level. But across the 60-game season, it's different. I mean, everything has to be taken into account because of obviously the, uh, the circumstances. So it, it's just interesting. It's, it's something interesting to follow. So Janice, great stuff. Really, really fun talking to you as always. Uh, we'll leave you uh, with this final question. And I just want to get what you're working on um, here at Southside Hit Pen. Some of the things that you can just highlight being a part of Southside Hit Pen and uh, maybe give a shout out to a couple of your colleagues that are, are putting out the work because, you know, you got to respect the blogosphere, the the writers that do this for a hobby, because uh, there's a lot of work that that's involved here, a lot of time spent and the, and the quality is, is very good. So I just wanted to give you your credit. Uh, and what are you working on specifically that we can look forward to over the next few days? 
Uh, yeah, so uh, I will be covering more games uh, in the future. Uh, so I will be doing uh, more recap stuff. I definitely have been working on more separate analysis. Uh, just I really love looking into pitching metrics in particular. Uh, that is prob- that is my bag. That is my jam right there. Uh, so a lot of uh, the stuff I write uh, always will kind of take a look at the pitcher and a kind of... Um, his sequencing, um, say uh, what he did to get outs. So, uh, so yeah, I've got a couple of projects in the pipeline that are super, super cool. Um, but yeah, of course, I wouldn't be where I am uh, without my awesome colleagues. So, of course, uh, first and foremost, there is uh, my fantastic editor uh, Brett Valentini, uh, who uh, does not uh, make fun of me too much for uh, mistaking uh, rains for rains. <laughs> and, and so, and so, if you're listening to this, it probably makes no sense. But I, I, I certainly mix up the homophones a little bit, uh, which is okay. We, we're, we're, we don't have to be perfect, but. Uh, it's great editing like that that uh, kind of prevents me from further ridicule. Uh, so thank you, Brett. Um, of course, there's uh, my co-beats, uh, Sam Sherman, uh, James Fox, of course. Uh, we've also got uh, Tommy Barbie, uh, who I believe he's covering some games at the very end of the year. So it'll be awesome to kind of get him in the press box, too. Uh, Clint Cole, our awesome photographer. Um, yes, yeah, so we've just got a, a great bunch of people. Uh, Colleen Sullivan, uh, Amber Geezy, uh, just really great, fun uh, people uh, that genuinely love baseball and genuinely love this team. And it's a fun, awesome team to cover. So it's a good time all around over at Southside Hit Pen. Awesome. Janice, keep up the great work. We will be in touch soon. Thanks so much for jumping on and having the conversation today. Awesome. Thank you for having me on, Mike. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. This has been another episode of the Future Sox podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can follow us on anchor.fm forward slash Future Sox for our entire album. For Janice Scurrio, my name is Mike Rankin. One more time, thanks so much for tuning in. We will talk to you all next time.